Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to A Million Other Choices. I am your host, Kim. Today's story I wasn't actually going to tell because I thought it was pretty pretty well covered. But it turns out it's actually only been covered by two podcasters and one of those was in French. I also have some scary statistics for you at the end, but I'll try to make them less scary by giving you some tips on avoiding becoming them. Now, the news coverage of this story is interesting because it's just the facts, nothing but the facts. But Nancy Hicks, who is an investigative journalist here in Calgary, interviewed the family and got what has kind of been relayed as a twist in this story. But I can tell you, you will smell this twist coming a mile away, and it won't exactly be shocking. The story itself is shocking and disgusting and involves the rape and murder of a young woman, so you have been warned. This is the murder of Brittany McKins. January of 2010, 17-year-old Brittany was living the life of what should be the life of all teenagers everywhere, at least on the surface. Brittany had been born to her mom Kelly and dad Terry and had an older brother Blaine and younger sister Katie. When Brittany was very little, her parents divorced and not a lot is spoken about the whereabouts and involvement of Terry after the divorce. It sounds like the relationship either between the parents or the kids was complicated. It sounds too like he wasn't very involved in the children's lives after the separation, but there's no allegations of abuse or abandonment. He's just not really mentioned a lot and it could be that he has just chosen to stay very private, which is completely fair. So I'm going to go with that explanation and just leave it there. However, Brittany, Katie and Blaine did later have a half-brother from Terry's side of the family. When Brittany was three and Katie was around one, her mom Kelly met and moved in with their stepdad, Bradley Reitz, who worked with his father at their family-owned business, which I'm not sure what that was, um, but it wasn't doing very great and had struggled after the 2008 financial fiasco that we all experienced. Brad had three sons from a previous marriage that were back and forth between him and their mom's place, which was in Edmonton. So when they were all together in the house, it was a full house for sure. Kelly and Bradley, who had been married for 13 years, and the kids called Bradley dad. And life was good for all the kids who got along all for the most part. 
watching Power Rangers together on Saturday mornings, eating sugary cereal and living the dream of kids everywhere. Kelly and Brad were deeply in love and the world is everyone's oyster and Katie and Brittany were especially close. They shared a room and spent most of their time together playing more as friends than siblings. When they were all teenagers, the family moved into 875 Canaveral Crescent Southwest in Calgary's Southwest community of Canyon Meadows, which was a lovely white split-level house with red trim. At least it was at the time. You can't even Google Earth it now because it's all been blurred out. Canyon Meadows is bordered by Anderson Trail to the north and Fish Creek Park to the south, and it's a quiet and safe suburban neighborhood. At least I really hope so, because my daughter recently purchased a place there. The move to the Canyon Meadows house gave everyone more space, and Brittany got the coveted basement bedroom with the privacy that 17-year-olds just love. And by January of 2010, Brittany was in her last year of high school at E.P. Scarlet Senior High with plans to become a veterinarian. She was pretty and popular with a love of superheroes and the Jonas Brothers. She worked part-time at the Rexel drugstore near their house, babysat on Sundays for a neighbor, and had a best friend since grade four named Ashley that she was inseparable with and was on her Christmas break from school. All very normal and deserving of any teenage girl. The only small cog in this chain of idyllic childhoods was that her parents were kind of strict. Mostly Brad. He liked quiet and expected studious grades and didn't allow the girls to date, which by 17 was probably starting to wear on Brittany's nerves a little bit. But she was a happy young woman by all appearances and was certainly very caring and generous and all around just a lovely person that didn't deserve to go missing and wind up murdered and raped. So on Saturday, January 16th of 2010, it was a very normal day for Brittany during her Christmas break. She met up with her best friend Ashley and they went to see The Lovely Bones at the theater. The Lovely Bones was released on December 26th and was based on the Alice Siebold's 2002 book by the same name, directed by Peter Jackson and starring Mark Wahlberg and Susan Sarandon. It was... It was a bit of a blockbuster, but also kind of creepy. It follows a young girl who is murdered and her body not found as she looks down from heaven and keeps an eye on her parents who are struggling to move on without her. It is a really great book and a good movie, but so sad and and prophetic that it was the choice of movie they decided to see that day, as you'll see. After the movie, she went home to have a family dinner for Katie's 15th birthday, and they made plans for Britt to take Katie shopping the next day for her gift, which was kind of a tradition with the two of them. And that night, Brittany did the very normal teenage thing on Christmas break, which I recently experienced here again with a stepdaughter. She stayed up late and texted her friends, and finally around 2.30 a.m., she texted Ashley that she was going to bed. The next morning, Sunday, January 17th, Katie and Kelly got up to go to church, but Katie wasn't rousing Brittany. She was like, no way, I'm sleeping in. Again, very normal. So Kelly and Katie went off to church, and when they returned a couple of hours later, Brad was in a bit of a state. Fortunately, Brittany had left by then to go to her regular Sunday babysitting gig, but a couple of intruders had tried to break in, and there was broken glass and footprints in the backyard. Brad had put in a police report. Thankfully, nothing had been taken, and he had obviously surprised the intruders, not expecting anyone to be home, and he had gotten a bit scratched up and a bit of an altercation, but wasn't 
but was actually more shaken up than hurt. So Kelly and Katie did probably what you and I would do, text your friends and say, like, holy shit, guess what just happened? Lock your doors. Katie texted Brittany to ask about the shopping they had planned. Now, she was asked not to tell her about the break-in because they didn't want to freak her out, but Brittany didn't respond, and Katie thought that was weird and told her mom and Brad. But Brad said, well, that's weird because she answered me. She says she's sleeping over at Ashley's tonight. Now, right away, that would have raised an alarm bells for Katie. I mean, she's inseparable with her sister and she's answering her dad, but not her. Um, I have some experience with teenage girls in my house. They will ghost you for days, but they answer their friends like their phone will spontaneously burst into flames if they don't respond in seconds. So it is weird. So Katie just figures, okay, I guess no shopping that day. Also weird because that was a tradition and they were had just been talking about it the night before. And it really wasn't like Brit to flake on her for Ashley because um, she could see Ashley anytime. So instead, Katie made plans with one of her friends to go to their place for Ukrainian Christmas dinner, which is traditionally held in January. And to shake off what had been a rather stressful day uh, with the break-in and all, Kelly and Brad went to the local pub for a couple of beers, and Katie texted that she wanted to stay a bit later than her normal curfew, and Brad said okay, which was also a little bit weird for him, seeing that he normally was pretty controlly about those kinds of things. So when Katie got home she that night, she went right to bed. But she was awoken around 4.35 in the morning by a lot of chaos and noise in her parents' bedroom. Paramedics had been called because Brad was having what appeared to be a stroke or something. His face was kind of messed up and he had to be carried out on a stretcher. So Katie and Kelly went with him to the hospital and called Brittany to get her to come meet them. Only again, she didn't answer. And in fact, her phone was off, which is another red flag. Teens don't answer, but they never turn their phones off. Like it's like a law with them or something. Katie then called Ashley and told her that she needed to speak to Brittany right away. Only Ashley told her, I haven't spoken to Brittany since Saturday night. So she wasn't sleeping over. So Katie asked Ashley, like, could Brittany have a secret boyfriend or something like that? But Ashley says there's no way she would know about it like Brittany would have told her. And Katie knows that that's true. She would have. Katie had kept Brittany's secrets loyally to that point. But would she be trusted with something like a secret older boyfriend? Maybe not. But Ashley probably would have been. Kelly called the police and reported Brittany missing. Katie tried a few of Brittany's other friends but came up with nothing. Now, a couple of things happened simultaneously here. Katie calls her, her Auntie Joanne, Brad's sister, to help with the search, and they start driving around leaving Joanne's kids, Katie's cousins, at the house which the police had searched only to come up empty-handed. And Kelly decided to read through Brittany's texts to Brad, thinking maybe there'd be a clue and maybe she said something that uh, Brad didn't read or I don't know. So just as Kelly makes the odd and horrifying discovery that Brad's messages to Brit had all been one-sided, as in he's answering texts that have never been received, like let me check with mom to a question that was never asked, the last text reading, God forgive me. At the same time, Katie and Joanne arrived back at the house to pack some clothes so Katie could stay with Joanne, to find Joanne's daughter shaking and crying, saying, don't go downstairs. So, of course, they bolted downstairs to Brittany's room, which looked fine on the surface until Blaine pulled up the mattress, which was concealing Brittany's lifeless, cold body in the storage compartment beneath. Brittany was in a state of undress with a bathrobe belt tied around her delicate neck. 
An autopsy would reveal that Brittany had fought for her life. Some of her nails had been broken and ripped like she'd tried to claw her way free from someone's clutches, and that someone had their DNA wedged under her nails, and also in her vaginal cavity, showing she had been viciously sexually assaulted before her death. She had died as the result of strangulation from her own bathrobe tie being used as a ligature. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Bradley Reitz, Britt's stepfather, was released, was released from the hospital where his stroke-like symptoms had miraculously and suddenly disappeared on January 21st and was immediately charged with first-degree murder. Investigators didn't feel her murder had been planned, as in many first-degree murder charges, but it was obviously the result of a sexual assault, which is a felony, and murder committed also, while also committing a felony is first-degree. Despite giving a rambling five-hour confession to police as soon as he was brought in and waiving his right to a lawyer, he pled not guilty. Now, this is actually pretty standard. First-degree murder is the worst charge you could face. So most lawyers will consult you to plead not guilty on kind of a what-have-you-got-to-lose basis. You know, maybe we can get you out of, off on a technicality kind of thing, even when the evidence is overwhelming, which it was in this case. And during the preparation for trial, his lawyers did try pretty hard to keep this videotape confession and reenactment video that he did for the police out of the courts. But when they failed to do that at the 11th hour, he fired his lawyers and decided to plead guilty. And on February 15th, 2012, his agreed statement of facts was read into court. This is a document that details what he revealed in his confession tapes, but without actually playing the tapes for a jury or spectators. His initial confession was kind of all over the place, but he eventually settled on the following account of the morning of January 17th, 2010, to Detective Ross Hart. According to Bradley, he made breakfast for Kelly and Katie and saw them off to church letting Brittany sleep in as was agreed on. He then went downstairs to wake her up and says that, as usual, he sat down on the bed with her to chat, asking how she'd slept and what she wanted for breakfast, and like the sweet and innocent little bird that she was, said she wanted Fruit Loops. He got up off the bed and stood, and she did too, and they hugged. Now, I kind of doubt this part of the story was true. He then gives a couple of accounts of this next part. In one, he says that as they hugged, they kind of fell back onto the bed and giggled about it. But in another, he says, for reasons that he doesn't understand, he pushed her down onto the bed and they struggled. He completely hemmed and hawed about touching her in any sexual way, but the evidence didn't lie. So he finally admitted to taking down her pajama bottoms and the rape was brief and he got up to pull his pants back up. Bradley says that Brittany just lay there and then she got furious and started to kick and yell at him saying, just let me go like I won't tell anyone. And he panicked and choked her. In his words, quote, then she kind of pushed up on me a little bit and then I pushed her back down. She said like, dad, what are you doing? I think I panicked after that. She kind of got a little bit more aggressive, pushing back up on me 
And I got even more aggressive pushing on her. She's saying, Dad, you can't do this. You shouldn't be pinning me down like this. He tore off her shirt and grabbed her breast and then her throat. He continues, that's the last thing in the world I ever wanted to do, have sex with her or anything. That just didn't enter my mind, just in such a frenzy, in such a different state. She started to cough and said, quote, well, just keep this to ourselves, Dad. Nothing happened. It's okay. I won't tell anyone, but I won't tell anybody. And then she just kind of went nuts, kind of really lost it, and I choked her. I just kept choking her until she wasn't moving. I pulled her up, just held her, and she was really limp, and I thought, oh, God, I killed my little girl. I did this to my little girl. I just never in a million years would have ever thought I thought it. I never entered my brain. Something just snapped. I don't know what it was. I don't have a clue what it was. Once he had choked her unconscious, he then took the belt of her bathrobe and strangled her with it. Now, because he had built the bed for her, he knew that there was a storage compartment under the mattress and placed her in there. He then made the bed, realized that she had scratched him, so made up the story about the break-in. During his videoed reenactment, he said that I've never had the urge with my daughter before, but admitted to feeling sexually aroused when he was pinning her down. He even placed a teddy bear given by her grandfather on the pillow of the bed. He then grabbed her jacket and her cell phone and threw the cell phone behind a bookshelf in another room. In his defense, or whatever it was, at the reading of his plea, he said, quote, There is nothing hidden. There's no deep, dark secrets or past or whatever or anything. And my parents didn't abuse me, if you know people are thinking that. And I didn't abuse my nieces and nephews and so on and so on and so on. It was that and how they want to deal with that with it after that is up to them. My one wish is to Brit bring Brittany back. I promised I would always be there to protect you. Sorry will never be enough. Kelly, Brittany's mom, said, quote, I have no idea how I made it through the first year. I cry for many times in the day. I am so angry. I can't stop this pain in my chest. I have a real broken heart. This person who I trusted, who Brittany trusted, should have been there to protect us. Losing Britt the day after her birthday is a constant reminder for Katie. Losing her was the worst thing anyone could put me through. Bradley Reitz was given a life sentence with no eligibility for parole for 25 years. So Brittany was laid to rest and many in attendance were su wore Superman t-shirts in honor of her and the Super Brit Fund was launched in November of 2010 through the Children's Legacy Foundation and it will help kids from low-income families to pursue an education in music and the arts. Now, the twist part that was revealed in Nancy Hicks' coverage by interviewing Katie wasn't exactly shocking. Basically, Katie revealed that Bradley had been sexually abusing them for about three years prior to Brittany's murder. So for him to say it was a one-off is ridiculous, and I don't think most of us needed Katie to reveal that to us. Um, she could have kept that between her and her therapist if she needed to. Uh, we probably could have put that together ourselves, but good for her for coming forward with her story. And if revealing to revealing that to Nancy was therapeutic for her, then I'm happy that she had that opportunity. I'm only adding this little tidbit in because I think it's important for Katie to be able to be heard that Brad wasn't this great guy that he's portrayed himself to be and that the media doesn't mention this fact in any of their coverage only because it's never been put through the courts and it's technically an allegation at this point, and because Nancy Hicks did the work and deserves kudos for her investigative work in bringing the allegations to light. Brittany's best friend Ashley was not aware of the abuse as Brittany kept that information to herself. 
Katie had been sworn to secrecy by Brittany and never told her mom until many, many years later. And neither Katie nor Brittany should ever be judged for not coming forward earlier. There, but for the grace of God, I have not walked in their shoes. And wanting and needing a father figure and his betrayal is something that I can't fathom. And without experiencing it, I really have nothing further to say on it. Now, for some of the scary statistics I promised you. According to the National Library of Medicine, uh, a study in San Francisco found that 17%, or one out of approximately every six women who had a stepfather as a principal figure in her childhood years, was sexually abused by him. The comparable figures for biological fathers were 2% out of approximately 40 women. In addition, when a distinction was made between, say, very serious sexual abuse, which are including experiences ranging from actual vaginal penetration to non-forceful oral sex and anal sex, and other less serious forms, 47% of the cases of sexual abuse by stepfathers were at the very serious level of violation compared with only 26% of biological fathers. And further, according to the American Psychological Association, April Eldermeyer writes, quote, children of divorce and later remarriage, if their parents find new partners, children are 40 times more likely than those who live with biological parents to be sexually or physically abused. Now, none of this is being said to keep you single moms out there single. Good men are out there and children can have great father-child relationships with a step-parent. I am a step-parent. My husband is a step-parent. I grew up with a step-dad. It can be really great. The trick is in acknowledging and accepting that it's a possibility and keeping your eyes open and, like, I mean really open to the early warning signs of sexual grooming, which happens usually before the gross stuff happens. Things like giving them special attention and outings and gifts, isolating the child from others, filling this child's unmet needs, filling needs and roles within the family, and treating the child as if he or she is older. I dated before I met my husband, and even when my husband moved into my house with my kids uh, when they were under 18, I didn't leave him alone in the house with the kids for extended periods of time. Now, I myself, I would be shocked if my husband ever did anything gross with one of my kids, or any kids for that matter. I I just don't believe it's in his wheelhouse. He's just not that kind of guy. Um, He's shown me enough of his character over the years to be imperfect, but not a pedophile. Um, But I've never been naive enough to think it's completely impossible. I think that we so badly want our partners to accept our kids and love them like their own, that we see a guy coming in and being all, oh, I love kids and think that it's great without realizing that there could, and just could, it's not definitely an absolute, could be a darker side to that. Uh, Sometimes I get in trouble for being so negative, and I, I really don't think I am. I think I'm a realist. If the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry is correct, that about one in every four girls and one in every 13 boys in the U.S. experience sexual abuse at some time in their childhood, and that the vast majority of sexual abuse is committed by someone that your child knows, someone is doing the abusing. To think that it's impossible to be someone you know, I think, is burying your head in the sand. And that was the terrible rape and murder of Brittany McKins. I will be back again next week. Maybe not so luxury, can't say for sure. In the meantime, if you could do your rate, review, subscribe thing, don't forget, for some bonus ad-free episodes, you can click on the link in the show notes for some exclusive content. 
As always, thank you so much for listening. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.